You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back, everyone, to our Sunday Gospel Reflection. Annie Mitchell. Father Hezekiah, it is good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. You know, I want to just say to all of our participants, God bless you for everything you do and the time you spend jumping into these texts with us. We are, both Annie and I, you know those days in your life where you're like, you start out the day and you're like, oh, it's a great day. I've got things scheduled, but I got extra time in between some meetings. Forget about it. My day was blown up like dynamite. We are literally doing this three hours after we were supposed to. And Annie has guests coming over. And I, I got to go to celebrate liturgy in the church. But we want to take this time with you right now. So oh, because this is going to be an epic study. I was like, we cannot skip this study. I'm so pumped about this one. for our time. So we had jumping and do it. Ready yeah. To go. You guys ready? Get out your Bibles. It's rapid fire. Ass in your seatbelts. This go. is going to be intense. Third Sunday of Lent. Third Sunday go. of Lent. Give us the text here, Annie, and we're jumping right in. Yep. First reading is Exodus chapter 17, verses 3 through 7. The responsorial Psalms, Psalm 95. The gospel, get this. Whew. You ready for the long haul? John chapter four, verses five through 42. Mm -hmm. And although there is like a shortened version, but yeah. So you may hear that one at mass. Um, and then the epistle is St. Paul's letter to the Romans chapter five, verses one and two, and then five through eight. Ready to go to Exodus? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Exodus chapter 17, we're starting with verse 3. In those days, in their thirst for water, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, Why did you ever make us leave Egypt? Was it just to have us die here of thirst with our children and our livestock? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? A little more and they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go over there in front of the people, along with some of the elders of Israel, holding in your hand as you go, the staff with which you struck the river. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock in Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will flow from it for the people to drink. This Moses did in the presence of the elders of Israel. The place was called Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled there and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord in our midst or not? Mm -hmm. 
I really like this reading. Okay, so at what point is this happening in the story of Moses and the Israelites? Well, look at chapter 15. Very easy, guys. Always contextualize. Chapter 15, Moses sings his song, which means that in, 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 in chapter 14, of course, uh, is the crossing of the Red Sea. So, so crossing the Red Sea, they come out on the other side. Moses begins singing, which is awesome. And yeah. uh, so the hymn of Moses to God is right there in chapter 15. And, and then chapter 16, chapter 17 are like a split, right? Chapter 16, they're hungry here. And in chapter 17, they're thirsty there, right? What, what does this sound like to you, Annie? Uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's like a cycle over and over again, right? We heard this cycle begin back in Genesis chapters, chapter two, in which uh, chapter, well, chapter three, in, sorry, I always think the first page of my Bible is in the RSV is like chapter one, Genesis, chapter two on the back side of that page, and then chapter three. I'm very, I'm a very visual person. Anyways, is no, it's actually chapter three begins, and that's the fall, right? When right. when the evil one comes and says, Did God say you should not eat of any of these trees? In other words, God, you know, putting the doubt, right? The, the God, God who is the giver of life is actually the dealer of death. And that's the that's the the ingredient that we need when reading that the vision we need, the eyes we need, because they come out of Egypt. Now, how many times we said this, and it was I didn't make this up. This is like, I think, I think this is Jeff Cavins that said this, but you know, this is like 25 years ago. I heard him say this. I can't remember. <laughs> Anyways, he says harder, maybe it's maybe it's Scott Hahn in a father who keeps his promises book, which is a great book, by the way. A Father Who Keeps His Promises, a wonderful book written by Scott Hahn probably 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago now, you know, and uh, it's great. And it's like a salvation history thing. It says it's, it was easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel, right? So as soon as they come out of the Red Sea, they're, they're, they're famished, right? It's a, it's a tough path. They're hungry. And, and, and they're like, hey, you know, Moses make us some uh you know pork tenderloin you yeah. know like we had in egypt we and our like, flesh pots, i don't got any yeah. pork tenderloin with me they didn't, didn't have the Levitical law yet okay yeah. <laughs> so there it is right there um in chapter 16 verse 2 the whole congregation murmured underline that put it in your whatever your sinful color is in your bible murmur they murmured against Moses against the Lord. And in chapter 17, they come out and the same thing happens in chapter 17 after they eat the manna and they are thirsty and they begin murmuring again, right? In verse two, chapter 17, verse two, therefore they found fault with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, like, give us the pork tenderloin and we want a margarita besides, you know? <laughs> and he's like, hey, I don't got water. And, and so here's, that's the fundamental problem that takes place. Okay. That's where we're at in the story. They have not made it to Mount Sinai yet. Mount, they're going to arrive at Mount Sinai in chapter 19, verse one. You see that on the Got third new okay. moon after the people of Israel had gone for the land of Egypt on that day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Boom. They're at Mount Sinai and they camped there. And then the rest is history. But here is this intervening time period in which they're saying, who's going to be the sustainer of our life. And of course, in their hearts, they go back to Egypt, right? And, and oh, is this juicy right now? I don't mean the port tenderloin. It sounds really good right now during Lent. But it's pretty juicy uh, in our Lenten journey. Because aren't, isn't it right about now? You're like, 
Yeah, but mm, it, uh, you start murmuring. Yeah, and yeah. you start and you start and you start going. Where is my life going to be found? Right? Where? where how am I going to spend my day? How am I going to spend my evenings? What am I going to eat? It's all right. I'll just go back and have it the way it was. Right? And let me tell you, Father Hezekiah is guilty of this myself. Even at this point in Lent, I've already a couple of times stumbled, said, ah, and then I go, you know, and you go back to your old ways. And so this, the Lord gives us and the church gives us this reading now at a perfect time during our Lenten journey in which the people of Israel begin yearning for Egypt, their old life. Yeah. And of course, we're like, wait, why do you want your old life? Your old life is slavery. But if we had eyes to see, as the fathers tell us, something similar is going on in our life. But I don't want to go there yet, Annie. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So what then is going on here? I mean, like, of all of the things that God could tell Moses to do as they're murmuring about not Mm. having any water, why does he have Moses strike a rock? Yeah. Well, that's a a good question, (laughs) Annie. You know, I would I would say, uh, well, the fathers of the church are going to always look forward, sure. right? Yeah. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that so that's ultimately where we need to go, right? That everything in the Old Testament is by way of preparation. But we don't want to forget about the moment itself, right? Here you have the people of God who are questioning whether God is God, right? They're coming out of a very pagan environment, pantheist environment, where they're worshiping virtually everything. And the and Moses is is telling them, hey, there's one true God, yeah, and he's talked to me, and you're supposed to follow me. And they're going, really, really, Moses, are you just hearing stuff? I think it's Bernard of Clairvaux, who I think it's Bernard Saint Bernard, who says, he says he's talking about doing exegesis of the gospel, and he's like, it's like sucking honey out of the hardest rock. Oh, yeah. yeah. In other words, it's difficult. It's a difficult good. Well, in this case, I think there's a similarity there. There, I mean, not just because of the rock, but but there's a similarity in that God makes does a miracle. Moses has a miracle by the grace of God out of the most difficult situation, yeah. right? The most difficult situation, in order to bring faith to the people in order like to slap them in the face, right? Say, wake up. Can you not see what's going on? I mean, literally you just crossed the Red Sea. Seriously? You just crossed the Red Sea and Pharaoh, who is your slave master and his chariots got drowned in the Red Sea. And you're literally looking back, watching their chariots, you know, washing up on the shore or whatever the case may be, right? Their, mm-hmm. their, their stuff is washing up on the shore and you're saying, let's go back. Are you crazy? Have you not seen what God has done for you? And in fact, they were blind because of their passions, right? They're literally their stomach had caused them blindness. Hello, church fathers telling us what we should be doing during Lent. Hello, Catholics who say we don't have to fast anymore. No, really? Because there's, there's a lot here. Yeah. in the scriptures that tell us about the power of the passion of hunger yeah and our attachment to the physical things of the bread of this world which by which man does not live 
by bread alone. Yeah. And so, so my initial answer to you, Annie, is just simply that, it, that this is the, the most crazy thing. Who hits a rock and water comes out? No one, right? But Moses does because of the situation they find themselves in. God literally wakes them up from it. But there's a further thing, and that is this is a preparation for the coming of Christ, who comes to us in his humanity, yeah, who looks like a man like all of us, right? Yeah. We have all these pictures of Jesus with the blue eyes and the sandals and the halo and everything. But let me tell you, he's walking around, you know, to the ladies. He looked like your husband. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm saying he looks like a normal guy. You're like not impressed yeah. with, right? I mean, you know, I'm sorry to say it that. I thought he looked like Jonathan Rumi, Jim Caviezel. No? Who's Jonathan Rumi? From The Chosen. Yeah. Yeah. Those I haven't seen it. I just I know that he plays <laughs> Jesus on TV. That's all okay. I know. <laughs> the rock now for the fathers of the church tell us that everything in the Old Testament was done by, by way of preparation. Cardinal Jean Danielou, in his book, The Bible and the Liturgy, says this very beautifully, that um, I'm just going to flip open Cardinal Danielou's Bible and the Liturgy. That the realities of the Old Testament are figures of those of the new is one of the principles of biblical theology. This science of similitude, similarities between the, between the two testaments is called typology. And here we would do well to remind ourselves the foundation for this is to be found in the Old Testament itself. At the time of the captivity, that's the Babylonian captivity, the prophets announced to the people, to the people of Israel that in the future, God would perform for their benefit deeds analogous to and even greater than those he performed in the past. In other words, he's going to give you living water from, the, from, from that which could never possibly save your soul, right? He's going to save you through the very vehicle by which your downfall was brought about. That is our humanity. Mm. Yes? So St. Paul goes after this. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Annie, are you with me? I am there. Okay. I want you to know, brethren, that our fathers, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all were ate of the same supernatural food. And all drank of the same supernatural drink. For they drank from the supernatural rock. With a capital R. That rock was Christ. Now, say, wait a minute. What's he talking about? It's like Jesus became a rock in the Old Testament. No. He's saying that no one. Look, Israel is saved at this moment, right? They would have thirsted. They would have, they would have died. They didn't have any water. God saved them. Yeah. He sustained their life. And therefore, they weren't drinking from a rock. They were drinking from God. Yeah. And let me tell you, when you drink from God, you not only drink water, you drink life-giving water, which is why, check this out. This is going to blow your head off. You ready for this? I'm quoting now from St. Augustine. So when all of you people think Father Hezekiah is a heretic, boom, you talk to St. Augustine. Ready? The manna signifies the Eucharistic bread. The altar of God signifies the Eucharistic bread. But these are, these 
already were sacraments. The appearance is different, but the reality is the same. You're going to say, you're not going there, are you, Father? Okay. The bodily nourishment is different since they eat manna and we something else, but the spiritual nourishment was the same for them and for us. What? Wow. Well, 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 this isn't St. Augustine. This is St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which you just read over, but your head didn't blow off because it's God words. And you thought, well, I just move on from it. <laughs> no, they drank from Christ. That's incredible. Okay. Why? Because now I'm going to back off on St. Augustine just a little bit, just so you can all kind of calm down a little bit and say, oh, did they receive the Eucharist? Well, they re received something of the Eucharist that they received the gift of God. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and therefore that rock is a symbol of Christ. Now I'm going to show you a really cool icon. Okay. This icon is painted in my church, my, my former parish in Arlington, Virginia, by an iconographer, Father Mark Malone. Okay, and this is a wall of icons in the baptistry, but notice the icon that is depicted here. Oh, wow. Moses striking the rock. Now, this is in the baptistry, so you also have the prophet Jonah in the belly of the whale, which is a symbol of, the, of, of Christ, right, of the, of, of the yeah. baptism that he gives us, right? And just as Jonah went down into the waters for three days, so our Lord goes down into the tomb for three days and then comes forth, man fully alive. Moses striking the rock. And but notice, notice he stands now. Christ is that rock. Moses now stands like the soldier of the crucifixion, doesn't he? Yeah. Piercing the side of Christ. And now not only is water flow forth for the life of Israel, but blood and water flow forth for the life of all people. Wow. Yeah. And so this has both a Eucharistic and a baptismal typology to it. The water which flows out of the rock and sustains Israel is a preparation for that, that life-giving water, which we are going to receive in holy baptism. That same life-giving water, which is going to be revealed to the person in the gospel, which we're about to read. Yeah, mm -hmm. But it is also a symbol and a preparation for the Eucharist, preparing God's people for what God is going to do for them. We are going to drink of God. And our life is going to be sustained wow. if, if we have faith in him, which is really the overall kind of overarching theme of this Sunday is faith in the Lord who is going to be the sustainer of our, of our life. Okay. Mm. A beautiful quotation here, by the way, from St. Maximus of Turin. He says, what took place, as the apostle says, was the mystery of baptism. Clearly, this was a kind of baptism where the cloud covered the people and the water carried them. Yeah. But the same Christ, the Lord, who did all these things now goes through baptism before the Christian people in the pillar of his body. He who at that time went through the sea before the children in, of Israel and the pillar of fire through this faith, as was the case with the children of Israel, the one who walks calmly will not fear Egypt in pursuit. Okay. And so look, the whole the whole of the Exodus story becomes for the church fathers this preparation for what God is going to do in the New Testament. Okay. As as Daniel says, 
Thus, the whole process of Christian initiation as carried out during the Paschal night is prefigured by the sacraments of the Exodus. Yeah. And this now is given to, of course, the catechumens, right? And all of us preparing as we are for the mystery of holy baptism and the reception of the Holy Eucharist on Paschal night, on the Passover night, on the night in which we are going to behold the resurrection of Christ. We will be given this gift for those for those who have faith, right? Those who entrust themselves. This is what St. Paul's talking about being baptized into Moses. What is it? To be baptized means to be plunged into, to be made one with. Well, how is Israel baptized into Moses? I thought baptism was a, you know, New Testament business with Jesus. No, they're baptized into Moses. They're made one with him at the moment that they step into the Red Sea. I, I always make this point that the Israel stand on the side of the Red Sea looking across the sea the, 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 whatever you call the perspective would have been, they would have only seen that the water met at a far distant point. They wouldn't have seen it wide open like this. Yeah. They walked into death, trusting Moses. And in that moment, they became one with him. And this is the same that will take place on the baptismal night for the catechumens being entered into Christ. And then what is revealed is the life-sustaining gift of the Holy Eucharist prepared for in the manna and in the water which came forth from the rock. Wow. Wow. Incredible. And brought out in the responsorial psalm, Psalm 95. If today you hear his voice, harden Mm -hmm. not your hearts. I mean, it's talking about this this whole scene in Exodus, Psalm 95 does. That's right. And I think, guys, we can just remember that moment uh, standing at the crossing of the Red Sea. Yeah, because you know what's going on right now with the catechumens. And I know there's a lot of catechumens are watching this or preparing for baptism. There's a lot of other voices going in saying, don't do it. Don't do it. This path you're on is not good. And maybe even members of of your family that are saying this to you or friends saying, what are you doing? This is crazy. And, and yet, and yet there's one voice that is necessary. It's the voice of the Lord who speaks to us, his living word, though that we, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, which comes, comes forth from the mouth of God. Yeah. And then is revealed to us the true bread that is going to sustain our life. So there you go. Psalm 95 and notice there towards the end. Oh, that today you would hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in Maribah, as in the days of the day of Masa in the desert, where your fathers tempted me, they tested me, though they had seen my works. Have we not seen the work of the Lord? They crossed the Red Sea, yes, but my brothers and sisters walk outside. Take a look at the sunrise every day. Take a look at, at, the, at the grass growing and the flowers blooming. Look at the face of your child or your wife. Speak, breathe. You want to talk about miracles. You are a living miracle. If only we could have eyes to see. And then to entrust ourselves to the one who has made us. Yeah. Again, before we leave the Psalm, St. Augustine, we're going after St. Augustine again today. So at, so at the first and, and easy sense of these words, still a true one, of course, let us worship him, brothers, and prostrate ourselves before him and cry before the Lord who made us. He did not, after all, make us and now desert us, Israel. He did not go to the trouble of making us only to abandon us, people leaving out of Egypt. Let us worship before the Lord who made us, because we did not worship when we when he made us, and yet he made us all the same. So having made us before we worshiped him, is he going to desert us when we worship him, Christians? 
If someone were doubting whether he would be listened to when he prayed, Scripture reassures them when it says, let us cry before the Lord who made us. Of course he listens to those who made, whom he made. Of course he cannot fail to care for those he made. Yeah. So yeah, as we make this journey through Lent, I know the, the days are difficult, no doubt. And the, the road is, is, is hard. And the evil one is attacking. If you're taking the fast seriously, if you're taking this Lenten journey seriously, I know the arrows have been coming at you. I know it's difficult. Your relationships are starting to boil. Our nerves are getting on edge. We're getting frazzled. It's difficult. The Lord will not abandon you. You have begun the, the contest. He will strengthen you, catechumens, on this journey which is ahead. We keep our eyes on the resurrection, on the light of the resurrection, which is calling us. Annie, let's move on to the gospel. All right. We are in John chapter 4, and we are starting with verse 5. Guys, this is a very long gospel. So yeah. what we're going to do is we're just taking it in parts, and then I'm going to make some comments along the way. We can't do a full exegesis of this text. This is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. This is deep stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And if you want to go to our website, I did a study of the gospel of John in 11 parts like 40 years ago. It's on our website. <laughs> the audio is horrible. The Bible says it's not all that great, but I do do a pretty in-depth uh, study of this text so if you go, go like section like five or six of the study i only made it through like five chapters six chapters. i was gonna say five or six and you were only I, in chapter I, four i gave up <laughs> after what we just threw in the towel it was so long so anyways but you can go there gospel of john that i did uh and study in depth but we let's go take this in pieces okay so let's okay. take what what verse are we supposed to start with here annie we're in the starting gospel? with verse five okay let's start with verse one and go through verse nine okay here we okay. go one through nine yeah. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Okay, stop, had, just stop for a second. One, first comment. Pharisees, you know their story, and this whole story is now almost a repetition of Nicodemus. You can go back in chapter 2, verse 23, through uh, chapter 3, verse uh seven or so and really get that nugget of, of the but the pharisees nicodemus is one of the Pharisees. he comes to jesus at night why is he coming to jesus at night because the pharisees are already plotting his downfall yeah so okay so jesus leaves judea why because the pharisees are in is it, they're in jerusalem well they're everywhere but there's a concentration so he gets out of dodge it's the first thing he's like i gotta get out of here they're already plotting his downfall right so jesus gets out he heads up and now he heads up through through Samaria. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So it says, let's see, I'm picking up at verse four here. Four. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Yeah, I just made a, qu a quick comment about that. You can make a little note, Genesis chapter 48, verse 22, okay? And notice the, the, the land, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hill a hillside. So what happened, the Samaritans built up on top of this hill that was given, Jacob gave to his sons, up on the hill was the, the temple of the Samaritans. They're now at the base of the hill at the well, which you can go visit still today. Cool. Okay, in the Holy Land. Okay, go ahead. All right. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, again, make a note in your Bible. We're not going to turn there. First, First Kings chapter 16, verse 21 is the establishment of the throne city of the north on the hill of Samaria, owned by the man Samer, who they bought it from and established the throne city there. So very quickly for all of us, ICC people, if you haven't been with us for a long time, stick with us. You're going to get it, but you're not going to get it today, except in Father Hezekiah's explanation. We're not going back there. And that is that is uh, with, with Solomon and his son, um, there was a division that happened in the kingdom, right, of the 12 tribes that, that had come in from the Exodus, a division in the northern tribes in Judah in the south, which kept Jerusalem, the throne city. The northern 10 tribes split. They went into revolt because the king was not treating them nicely. And they established the throne city of Samaria there. That that whole region, though, these 10 tribes will become known as the Samaritans. They are the first ones to get conquered just before the Babylonian exile. There is the Assyrian exile when the north gets conquered. The south doesn't get conquered because of the great king, Hezekiah, who defends the south against the Assyrians. The Assyrians conquer the north. And when they do that, they take the people of the land, or most of them, and they exile them out to all the places the Assyrians had conquered, and then they bring in foreigners into the land. Who are the Samaritans? Well, they're a bunch of Jewish half-breeds. They worship Yahweh because he's the God of the land, but they also worship their false gods from the regions which they came. This is going to come out here in the text, but this is why the Jews of Judah, of Jerusalem, of the tribe of Judah in the south, have no dealings with the Samaritans because the Samaritans are unclean because they're worshipers of false gods. They reject the prophets. Why do they reject the prophets? Because the prophets all go to them and say, you can't go into revolt against the throne city. You can't go into revolt against the king. You can't worship apart from the temple. So get your act together. The king might be bad, but you know, you don't break rank with him, right? You might have a bad church leader but he's still ordained by god you gotta there's a certain point where you don't go any further and so get yourselves right with god well they didn't they rejected the prophets and they accepted only the first five books of the old testament the torah that was what they lived their life on and they worshiped on this hill in samaria where they built their temple and there they worshiped yahweh and the false gods of these foreign nations that's who the samaritans were, were uh, people were go ahead verse 10. 10. All right. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. What For the Jews, what is the gift of God? What is the gift of God? Is his law, right? Is the, oh, right. the fullness, but the fullness of the law, right? All of the Old Testament that they that had been received. Yeah. But the Samaritans only received a portion of that gift. Yeah, they would have known the gift. Why? Because in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a couple things. You can write them down for yourself. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 2. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8, and so forth. Many times, God says, I am the source of living water. I am the source of life. And when the Messiah comes, 
that water is going to come pouring out of Jerusalem and you're going to receive this new water that is coming when the Messiah comes. But of course, they rejected the prophets. So they didn't know what was going to happen. And if they knew he was the Messiah, then they would have asked, she would have asked. And that's why this exchange starts to make sense if you understand who the Samaritans are versus the Jews. Okay, if you knew the gift of God, you if would have you asked. you knew the gift of God, who and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I love this moment in the passage because this is John. This is just, just, just quintessential John. John, when he writes his gospel, always writes on two levels. And while Jesus speaks on two levels in that are from a natural standpoint, over and over and over again in the gospel, People come to him, they think they know what's going on. They think they understand the Lord, but they're existing on a fallen human nature standpoint. They're thinking on as a natural man, not the supernatural man. And because of that, they continually make fools of themselves. But John, when he writes, uses Greek words, which have two meanings to them. This is what happens with Nicodemus, right? Yeah. We know who you are. You know, I figured it out. And Jesus says, you don't have a clue who I am because you rejected the baptism of John, the Baptist, right? And then nobody is going to come into the kingdom, but through the waters of baptism is what Jesus says in chapter three, verses mm -hmm. one and following, right? Unless one is born, John uses the Greek word anothen. Anothen has two meanings to it. It can be to be born from above and to be born again, mm. From above or again has two meanings and it depends on the context in which you're using it well jesus is speaking of course up here and nicodemus is down here he says nicodemus goes what do you mean i'm gonna climb in my mother's womb again it sounds foolish right he'll start laughing yeah. this happens so often john to tell you when you start reading it this way you realize how ridiculous it gets by the end of the gospel is over and over again like this so this happens again here you would have asked i would have given you greek zoe zoe water living water Okay, but she hears the word Zoe, not as life giving, but as running. Now you can understand running water is living water, right? Sure. So she's thinking he's going to give her, well, she's, you have nothing to draw with in the well is deep. Why is this important? Because the well of Jacob is deep. And where does the water come in to fill the well? At the very, very, very bottom, the spring comes flowing in. So in order to get the fresh water, the living water, you got to put the bucket way down there and draw it way back up. And then if you don't have a bucket and a rope, you're finished, Jesus. You can't do it. What do you mean you're going to give me living water? You don't have a bucket or a rope. But of course, he's not talking about the water at the bottom of the well. He's talking the bucket at the top of the well right if you know right. what i mean right but she may she misunderstands him right so these two loves this happens multiple times in this gospel and throughout okay that's what's going on there that's awesome okay so let's see where do we pick this up i have no idea we we're at verse 12 so she any. says uh where do you get that living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle and the answer is Yes, yes. He is. <laughs> but she, you see, she's she's seen, she's seen the man, but she's yeah. unable to see God in the man. And that in the gospel of John happens over and over again. This is the fundamental thing until until she remains with him. 
And those who remain with him begin to see. Nicodemus is going to take the whole gospel. She's going to take the whole chapter because yeah. women are spiritually more alive, right? So here's it. She remains with him and she's going to be able to see. Go ahead. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So you see, she's still thinking she's still on that natural level, yeah. right? But there's something as St. Ephraim points out, there's something developing here, right? She foresees him as Jew. But now she, she, she shows him the proper respect, calling him sir. Pretty soon she's going to accept him as the Messiah, right? So mm -hmm. there's a development already taking place within her. I'm going to go back to chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16, because right, this is the context, right? Just before. Look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent... His son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed the, the in the name of the son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because of their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. So this is what is going to happen for Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus is going to come in the darkness of the night, but he's going to remain with Jesus. And as he remains with Jesus, the light is going to come upon him. This woman is going to come to Jesus in the darkness, if you will, of, of sin and the darkness of our humanity. She's the one who does not see. She's the one who does not know. But as she remains in the light of Jesus, She's going to come to the light and come to faith. Okay, here we go. Chapter or chapter four, verse 16, right? Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and he whom you have now is not your husband. Okay, I'm going to just go back for a second, guys. Because again, context, context, context. We're at a well, we're at noon, and we're in the Bible. What happens at a well at noon in the Bible over and over again? There's always a relationship of marriage which is established. Yeah, you Write find this, a wife. <laughs> yeah, you find you find a wife. Write this in your notes. I wrote it down for you over here. Genesis chapter 24, verse 10 through 67. Exodus chapter 2 verse 15 through 21 and Genesis chapter 29 verses 1 through 7. You also can look into the prophets Jeremiah 31 31 though I was their husband says the Lord mm. okay and Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 and many other passages in which the Lord is revealed to God's people as their husband and in the gospel of John this is going on all over the place not only were we at the wedding at Cana where Jesus steps in right? And does what only the, the groom is supposed to do, and that is provide for the wedding feast, right? Not only that, but Jesus is going to meet Mary Magdalene in the garden and establish, reestablish a relationship between God and man. And so, so here again in, this, in the story of the Samaritan woman, 
we're at a well and all of this imagery immediately anyone reading the Bible is going to remember okay Jesus meets a woman at the well we're thinking marriage right well so this is and so Jesus brings this out yeah he, he like he like come on come on you're gonna get it you're gonna understand what and she fully sees what's going on right yeah. so going back now Jesus says her go call your husband and come here and the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're a right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and for he whom you and, and is with now is not your, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Well, who is he, he, she with now? She yeah. was with Jesus. Yeah. And of course, in the prophets and all the texts I just gave you, it's the Lord himself who is the husband of his people. But of course, the Samaritan people have, have, have yoked themselves to the false gods. To those who are not their husbands. Yeah, look at, look at, uh, um, write it down for yourself. I keep doing this and I'm sorry, we never do this at the ICC, but for the sake of time, we're already out of time. So write this down. Second Kings, second Kings chapter 17, verse 24 through 31, in which all of the false gods, five of them in total, come and are brought into the land because of the Samaritans through the Assyrians, right? The five Baals, five husbands are brought into the, uh, into the um, Northern 10 tribes. And this is what's going on, right? Because the gospel isn't worried about husbands and, 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 you know, it's worried about the Lord. And Jesus comes and now starts conversing with, having communion with a woman who is more than just this woman. Yes, the Samaritan existed, but she represents the whole Samaritan world. Yeah. Yeah. And so the exchange she embodies, much like the prophets embody in the Old Testament, she embodies the sin of her people. I'm not saying she didn't have five husbands. She had been unfaithful. But the Samaritan people had also been unfaithful, for they also had five husbands for whom they were not made. Hello, Eve, the one who converses with the evil one. And now, her true husband stands before her, yeah, the one whom she is with, whom she has never had a relationship with, mm. but she's now going to be drawn into that relationship. Go ahead, Annie. Wow. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. See that now? She's gone from the, you're a Jew, sir. sir now he's a prophet. a prophet, and pretty soon he's going to be the Messiah. Keep going. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Mm. Okay, and... I'm gonna stop you again. So I apologize for this. This is so this is why this is such a rich text. Do you see? He says he speaks about husbands, right? You're reading this and you're like, I don't know, Father Hezekiah, maybe you're making too much as Baal and God and the Lord and Messiah. But notice how she reads it. She gets him. it. Yeah. He gets it. Yeah. She immediately turns to worship. Because yeah. she knows that's what Jesus is talking about. Yeah? Okay, go ahead. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, 
and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said, what do you wish? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Okay, now I'm just gonna stop here guys because this is your, you know, it, I, I hope you're going to have that, the intensity of this moment. It gets a little bit broken up with this discussion with the disciples. All the, the discussion's important as we, as it develops, but in the moment it breaks it up a little bit because Jesus says, I'm him. And she drops her jar, right? She drops the container of life of her former life. The thing that she was being sustained with, she drops it. And she goes to the to her to her village. She has now become the one that Jesus told her about. He who drinks from me, a well of water will come will come flowing out of him. Right. She now becomes the evangelist, the giver of life to those around her, because they those who drink from Jesus drink of living water. It's not stagnant water, Catholics. You don't just, you don't take the Eucharist. You don't just receive. It's a life-changing gift, which brings about in you that which is true of him. And now it becomes true of her, what is true of Christ. Yes, the ancient tradition of the church knows this woman's name. And I'll share with you this icon in the same baptistry, St. Photony. St. Photony. Phos in Greek is light. light. Yeah. The enlightened one. St. Wow. Photony. Beautiful. Yeah. Especially to the women that are in this Bible study with us, you should have a great devotion to St. Photony. A beautiful woman who comes to faith in Christ through a journey in which she finds herself outside of God's people. And yet she comes to the light and she remains with him. Notice how this conversation almost never ends. She never gives up. She keeps going back. She struggles to understand. And she remains there with him. She could have walked away at any point, but she didn't. And the only time she walks away is when what he has given her becomes hers. And now she must go and bring salvation to those around her. Yeah, I'm going to stop there because we are out of time in our Bible study, but I'm going to, and I, and I, you can read the epistle on your own, Annie, give it, which, what's the passage here that we're going to? It's uh, Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. You read that on your own, but I'm just, I, I finished with this in this, in the story of St. Photony. Those are the catechumens that are on this journey and all of us journeying with them, struggling in this life, this, this, uh, this valley of tears, as we say, right? This difficulty in which this place of unknowing in which we want what the Lord wants to give us. And yet we're struggling, struggling there to remain there, to remain in the struggle, to remain trying to grasp what he's saying to us and giving to us. For those who remain in the light will themselves be enlightened. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and to ages of ages. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.